Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carol. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> You're recording? Keep it. We'll keep it. Oh, I was not. <laughs> that. That's good. That's really good. That's very um, appropriate for Bacchano, which is what we're reviewing for this episode 90. And as always, there will be spoilers throughout this episode. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that was good. Take a shot for every time you hear Kiaro in that series. <laughs> it took me a second, but then I was like, oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> um, well, I think uh, anybody who's been a longtime listener of our podcast may also have a moment of pause when they hear the change to our show opener. Yes, we have dropped the tagline by casuals for casuals. It's been part of the Strictly series since we started two, over two years ago, but we thought now is a good time for us to change that up because um, change is, is scary, but it's good at the same time. Yeah, fun fact, uh, Bacano is the Italian word for ruckus. So because you could say we are causing our own Bacano here on our podcast by changing <laughs> things up. But, you know, change... I think we talked about this uh, on our Strictly JoJo episode that should be out today as well. Uh, change can sometimes, mostly, we said change can mostly be a good thing. Yes, so. and I think I like to think that here it's a good thing. The reason we decided to, um, you know, not use by casuals for casuals anymore is because I don't know, like we're we've kind of graduated. We've kind of ascended from casual anime fans to pretty much full-on weebs. I'd say we're we're pretty much weebs at this point, right? Yeah, although I think I, I still have a ways to catch up, but, you know, having over like 100 titles on my anime list uh, and like the, the massive amount of figures that we've collected over the past two or so years i would say like yeah i can sit comfortably at the level of weeb now <laughs> so we figured now's a great time as we're you know hitting episode 90 to change things up a bit um like we said we are now pretty much weeb so we can't really call ourselves casuals but on the flip side of that we're a podcast that welcomes all anime fans from new anime fans to full-on weebs to absolute degenerates. So I think saying for by casuals for casuals doesn't accurately represent who we are now and what we're all about. So yeah, you'll you'll hear that change um, moving forward with our opener. Um, we've made some other tweaks to that and the closer. So yeah, just a, a couple of fun things that we're testing out and seeing what sticks. What have we been up to recently? We, we've kind of been um, a little out of the groove because we had our panel a couple weeks back um, at Anime Central, and because we recorded during the convention, it kind of allowed us to have a little bit of a break with recording any main episodes for Strictly Anime. So if we're a little bit rusty, that's why. But we've also had a lot of time that's gone by, and what have we done in the last like week, week and a half? I don't know. I still feel like I'm recovering from ASA. <laughs> um, but yeah, besides like just taking a, a breather from planning the panel and from uh, recording episodes, uh, we've been doing some some recreational activities. Uh, I think first off, you had gone to the restaurant show here in Chicago. Yes, I did. I went to 
the National Restaurant Association Show 2022. Yes, I had to look that up before I read it out. Um, yeah, my family friend gets tickets every year because they're in the industry, but they always have like two, three extra tickets and they give them to us. And usually it's my parents that go and then one of my sisters who is really big into cooking and all of that. This year I was able to go because we had tickets for one of the days after, like one of the, the days after the main weekend of the restaurant show. And usually the restaurant show falls the exact same weekend as Anime Central. So this is the first time I've been able to go because we went on a Tuesday and it was fun. I ate a lot of really good food um, from high-end steaks to what else was there? Um, we had Tyson chicken sandwiches. I mean, it was a huge variety of, of food. Any like Japanese themed snacks or foods there there was a an international section in one of the the halls and in that international section was a japanese section and in that section was a company who makes robots um for restaurants and they they specifically i think focus on japanese cuisine because they had robots making onigiri and sushi oh. so we grabbed some of the onigiri and it tasted like onigiri. It was, you know, shaped like the the rice in the triangle form, and had the some jelly sort of donuts. Like, yeah, the jelly donuts had some sort of like salmon in it, and it was kind of folded in a huge piece of nori. So taste wise, it was no different, but it was cool to watch these robots put the onigiri together. Did they have faces on them and make cute beeping noises? No, they did not. That that's the only part mm. that was lacking. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say for a robot making food, the onigiri tasted pretty solid it wasn't amazing or anything but it was it was pretty solid but yeah there was tons of food and it's some of the the booths give you like small samples of things other booths gives you give you full on like whole whatever it is that they're offering so like the tyson chicken booth had like full chicken sandwiches wrapped up you could just grab them and and take them with you um we went to the coca-cola booth and they had a lot of their um their soft drinks there but they also had some of their coffee lines. I can't remember what the coffee was called, but it was um, one of those machines where kind of like the the soda vending machines in movie theaters, you go up and you like hit the buttons for what type of drink you wanted, whether it was a hot coffee drink or an iced coffee drink, what kind of flavors you wanted it, how much sugar, and then it just dispenses it for you. So that was full sized. Um, so yeah, a lot of uh, what we grabbed, we tried to grab more of like the smaller size tasting portions so that we didn't waste anything, but there were a lot of like full-sized meal items. So I was, like I said, I was very, very full by the end of it. I was going to ask, like, how could you continue to like consume all these different things at different booths? But I figure you're also walking through like a convention hall so that kind of burns off some of those calories yeah we walked for five hours straight and that definitely did help my digestion so i was able to eat more but again it wasn't like we were eating huge pieces of food it was like constant snacking throughout so it was like a sustained level of fullness throughout the five hours that we were there there were a lot of booths giving away like cool I don't know, swag, like pens and bags and aprons and whatnot. And then a bunch of other booths giving away like food items. Like we got, I can't remember the brand name, but we got um, a couple of those 
flavored drinking straws and like coffee, chocolate, and vanilla. We went to King's Hawaiian. They had a booth there, and I grabbed you like this new drink that they're making, that mango hibiscus drink. Oh, yeah. I did try it. It was pretty good. So, yeah, we, we walked away with a ton of shit. We had empty backpacks, and they were full by the end of our time at the restaurant show. But I had a good time. It was uh, it was great. It was very delicious. And hopefully someday I can take you because we get tickets every year. As long as I can go when it's not in the middle of Anime Central, then uh, I'm always down. Yeah, who doesn't love free food? Free food tastes better, they say. <laughs> <laughs> we also went to the Sox versus Cubs game, a.k.a. the Crosstown Classic here in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the White Sox and the Cubs are two of Chicago's uh, baseball teams from the Major League of Baseball, MLB. Uh, so the Crosstown Classic is is a huge sporting event uh, when it comes comes around in the city of Chicago. I think they have two separate series, one in Wrigley Field, which is the Cubs' home field, and then one at... What is it called now? Sox Park. Yeah, no, Sox it's, Park. No, no, no. It's, it's called, it's Sox called Park. <laughs> Guaranteed Rate Field. Okay, well, you know, colloquially, sponsor. <laughs> colloquially known as Sox Park, uh, which is the White Sox's home field. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was this past weekend um, that we went to the series when it was at Sox Park. Uh, very nice weather for a baseball game. Um, there was a nice breeze as we were watching the teams go at it. It, it i thought it was going to be a quick game uh because it was just zero zero for most of the time yeah i don't think anyone like the game didn't move at all for the first like seven ending innings and then the cubs um had a run in the top of the seventh right mm-hmm. i can't remember and i think yeah the Sox followed up after the seventh inning stretch with uh, with a run as well and then they went into extra innings because that was the score. Because yeah, it was just like a stalemate the whole way through the game. So we ended. I was so fucking hungry. We ended up leaving at the top of the twelfth inning to get food in Chinatown, and then lo and behold, the Sox won. Yeah, it. I think they they had won at at the twelfth inning. So uh, if we had just stayed for one more <laughs> inning, we would have seen my team won. Yeah, win. Well, what? Yeah, they, you would have seen your Sentence team. structures. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we would have seen them win the game is what I was trying to say. Yeah, so if you didn't infer from that statement, we are a house divided. I am a Cubs <laughs> fan. Courtney is a White Sox fan. Uh, I would say like both teams right now, they're, they're probably about the same in terms of competitiveness. Yeah, uh, especially after that game. Yeah, the Cubs are currently in a rebuild. They had lost a lot of their star players I think it was last year, like Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, um, and I, I, what I thought that the White Sox were um, back in the winning column in, in terms of like having playoff potential, because they were in the playoffs last year. But I think the who are they facing? The Astros uh, that they they got knocked out by the Astros. Oh yeah, we were at one of those games too. Yeah, it was it was the elimination game. Oh, why well, uh, you got to remind me? <laughs> I mean, I was I was I was okay with it. Yeah, I, of course. I, you I don't were. really like I don't really like the Astros, but um, yeah, I, it seems like the White Sox are just okay this year. Who won the actual classic or the series? I think they renamed it to like the Crosstown Series or something, but we still call it the classic. I who, don't. I who don't ultimately know. won? Google it. I, I need to know this. Um, let's see. Um, 
White Sox claim the Crosstown Trophy for second year in the or second year in a row. So I think it's the White Sox who are currently the champions for the series. Let's go. I think what happens when there's a tie, whoever has the trophy just keeps it, right? Cuz it's always mm-hmm. four games. It's um and and I feel like when it's two and two, they just don't change anything. Whoever, if like if if the Sox had the trophy, they just keep it that year, or vice versa. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> Do not care because the Sox won our game and they won the the Crosstown Classic, or is it just boring because the Cubs are in a rebuild? Yeah, I think it's just that. Uh, I think I I was looking forward to seeing, or I was hoping to see Seiya Suzuki. Uh, who's one of the new baseball players that the Cubs had signed. He had just come over from Japan's baseball league. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't playing at the game that we watched. Uh, I don't know if he was um, in the dugout at all. Um, although I did see Wilson Contreras, who's like the only star player remaining on the Cubs. Uh, he was designated hitter. Um, so that was nice. But yeah, I think just my <laughs> enthusiasm for the Crosstown Classic right now is just, it's not at like peak hype level just because the cubs are just shit this year (laughs) well to be fair again the game that we went to was pretty it was probably the most dull baseball game we've ever been to especially for a crosstown classic where Mm -hmm. cubs fans and Sox fans can get pretty rowdy with each other well they were pretty rowdy um during our game like you had competing chants of let's go white Sox," let's go cubbies obviously it was a sea of blue and black and white uh uh jerseys throughout the stadium um i was kind of sad because i didn't get to enjoy like the one thing i like about Sox park is their choice of or their selection of foods uh there's one called the irish irish nachos which i don't know if they actually serve anymore um, but it's waffle fries topped with sour cream uh, i think chives bacon bacon and jalapenos if you want them yeah and i think cheese too uh but i had saved my appetite for our our post-game dinner at chinatown so held off on that but maybe next time i'll i'll try to find the irish nachos again it's part of the experience the white Sox, i think have some of the best food um of all the ballparks so yeah anytime we're there we should we should try to take advantage yeah i will say too that white Sox marketing is probably top tier um, in the NMLB because they managed to have all of these, again, the food, they have all these great events. Um, we used to take Ayn out for dog day when oh, yeah. he was around. Uh, that was always a nice experience. Um, they, they did have a, a Star Wars night where I had dressed up one year as Kylo Ren got pictures with a lot of White Sox fans. Even the though kids loved you. <laughs> I was People like swearing stu- under my breath, like don't <laughs> fucking take pictures. We like me. couldn't make it to our seat because all these kids <laughs> kept stopping you to take pictures with you. And it was hot. I, was like, I don't know how you didn't stupid like. Stupid White Sox fan. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was great taking pictures. I don't know that. how you didn't like collapse wearing that thing. It was it was really hot that day because it was in May. I mean, the, the, the cosplay kind of keeps like your body heat insulated so you're not like i wasn't dying all the time like my body was just at a constant it was a hot temperature but it wasn't like scorching hot under there i don't know props to you for doing that i was comfortable watching the white Sox, so <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah I, I'll, I will say that they they put together great events um at white Sox games um 
but you know my heart still bleeds cubby blue even if we're in the losing column right now hey it always changes uh, yeah it was a good game well besides it being dull it was a good game now on the anime front because i feel like there's been a lot of shit i've been watching since we last talked about what we've been watching um i have started food wars i actually finished season one of food wars and i enjoyed it a lot it's one of my sister's not like favorite anime, but she really enjoys it because again, she loves to cook and she always told me about like just the the education and the appreciation for food that that anime has. And I definitely learned a lot watching it. I just don't entirely know if I would want to watch seasons two through five. And I think the story ends with season five, but it's just like I enjoyed what I saw in season one, but I think like 24 four-ish episodes is enough for me to want to consume, no pun intended, of an anime about cooking. I feel like if I were to watch four more seasons, it, there wouldn't be enough variety for me to stay interested. What I was hearing was that season one, there's a goal, and then at some point that goal is reached, and then subsequent seasons it's just a bunch of nothing it's just a bunch of cooking yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think i heard that somewhere too which is kind of why i'm like do i want to invest the time and energy when i could use that to watch another anime and just walk away from food wars having really enjoyed what i watched in season one so if anyone's watched food wars and can vouch for whether or not seasons one or sorry seasons two through five are worth my time um, as a non-foodie type person, please let me know because I'm, I'm curious. No spoilers as always, but if anyone wants to let me know whether or not I should continue Food Wars, um, feel free to reach out. Join our Discord. That's probably the easiest way to, to let me know. I also started Assassination Classroom. I'm very early in. I'm like five episodes in, but I figured... I figured it was a good time to watch it because we had recently gone to that izakaya in Chicago where they were playing the Mm -hmm. fucking anime on the screen, like all over the walls. And I'm like, you know what? This is a sign. I should just commit and finally watch Assassination Classroom. I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. I think it's weird because they're in junior high and I'm like, all right, this is like a weird situation to put junior high kids in, but it is what it is. The characters seem interesting um koro sensei seems interesting he seems kind of endearing even early on in the show so i feel like i could i could enjoy it and our our good friend aaron from under the bun really loves assassination classroom and said that the the ending of the show was incredibly emotional so and i think he said that he was watching it while he was on a treadmill yeah like, he, he working was on, out <laughs> he was on a treadmill at the gym watching the finale and he said he cried while watching it while on the treadmill <laughs> in the middle of the gym so if it's that emotionally driven if it's that powerful where it makes aaron cry while he's in the middle of the gym then i i'm gonna brace myself for the finale and then I also started Black Clover, which I know is an investment because I think it's like 170, yeah, 170 episodes. I'm 10 episodes in and I find it to be a lot of fun so far. I think I'm going to enjoy this anime if it keeps this trajectory going. The only thing is Asta is so fucking annoying. I don't know if anyone else thinks he's annoying, but I find him to be incredibly annoying. And I am watching Sub, by the way, and it's like... The first three episodes in particular, he never stops screaming ever. Have I shown you a clip of Asta? I I think I was going to, but I don't know if I did. No, you had told me it's the same voice actor for Tadano from Komi. Yeah. 
but this time around it, it's just him screaming a lot he yeah it's like it's like asa take it down like 10 notches please he never never stops screaming someone told me that eventually he gets better about that as you move further on in the anime i hope it's sooner rather than later but his annoyingness is not enough to stop me from watching black clover i just hope i either get used to it at some point or he chills out at some point also, um, I just got introduced to the Black Bulls, which is the group that Asta is a part of. And I don't know if anyone else sees this, but the symbol to me looks like a diagram of a uterus. Your face oh. right now. <laughs> Look Black it up. Black Bulls. Look up Black Clover Black Bull symbol and tell me, tell me that doesn't look like a, a diagram of a uterus. Uh Oh. Right? <laughs> doesn't it? It's kind of like the... Uh, the a car manufacturer Dodge. But like a uterus, though. Yeah. Well, you know, like the the Dodge logo? Yeah, it's supposed to be a skull, like a bull skull. Yeah. But the way they drew the horns looks like a uterus. Now look up Google diagram of uterus. Oh, okay. (laughs) They'll do it. I swear to God, it looks the same. Yeah, I'm looking it up right. Yeah. Yeah, right? Doesn't Mm -hmm. it look the same? No, yeah. This just (laughs) reminds me of the Dodge Ram logo Because whatever it is. In the show, early on, before you even get introduced to the Black Bulls, you see that symbol at some point. I don't know if it's during the OP or when it was, but I saw it and I'm like, is that a uterus? I genuinely thought that's what it was. And then a few episodes later, I actually get introduced to the Black Bulls and realize, oh, that's a fucking skull. It's a bull, a bull's skull. That's what that's supposed to be. It's the horns but it just doesn't look like that to me. Um, so yeah, I can't unsee it. And sorry for any Black Clover fans who now can also not unsee it because I said that. <laughs> Sexual innuendos in anime. Who would have figured? Yeah, maybe they did it intentionally. Maybe they knew what they were doing. I don't know what the tie-in would be though, but maybe they were like, let's make it look like something else. Um, but anyway, you've also been watching a new anime. Well, not new, but new to you, right? Yeah, um, yeah after... A said, I, I know like we were watching our seasonals, but I wanted to find something um, outside of that. And I was just browsing through some of the saved stuff in my mail that I had planned to watch. And so I decided to pick up Gokusen. Uh, it's a series that came out, I think, in 2004. It was animated by Madhouse. Uh, I think it's 12, 12, 13 episodes. It's about a... A young woman who starts teaching math at this high school for delinquents, uh, but she is secretly the, I think, interim head of a Yakuza clan of her family's, and so she's trying to mask that fact while she's going through, like, teaching these delinquents. Sort of like, I think you said it's it's reminiscent of. Uh, great teacher onizuka which i haven't watched yet yeah i've I've heard um comparisons to gto it sounds kind of similar to gto yeah and for me it's it sounds like uh what is that movie i think it's stand and deliver what <laughs> it was a movie from you know like the the late 80s yeah it had a uh, lou diamond phillips was in it and uh edward james almost <laughs> you probably like I'm I looking watched... it up. I have never heard of this. No, oh, it, it's it's a American film. Uh, I think based on the true story of this like high school math teacher who also taught at this school where it was a lot of like delinquents, and they ended up passing. I think it was like a 
advanced placement exam. <laughs> Anyways, that's yeah, what the, the premise. Yeah, I'm looking at these pictures and I'm like, damn, the 80s, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's what the, the premise reminded me of. I'm only halfway through Gokusen. Um, obviously, it's a very very nostalgic animation style since it was early 2000s but i'm enjoying it so far the humor's humor's pretty good so would you recommend it well i was about to ask you if you would recommend it to someone who watched gto but you have not watched gto so i guess mm -hmm. you can't make that determination. I, yeah i don't i don't <laughs> think it's on the level of like cult status as gto um but i think for people who are into that like comedy genre um and kind of into like the like crime comedy too because this is it's sort of like a way of the house husband for me the way that i look at this uh yeah i, I would recommend it well on the flip side if you enjoy goku sen i would recommend to you watching gto because that's a great show yeah i have that on my my watch list too so at some point what is it like 60 plus episodes or something i think right around there somewhere in the 60 mark oh wait i just looked it up uh, 43 episodes, so not as daunting as I had thought. Oh, okay. So there you go. Not as uh, not as big of an investment. Um, so I, I highly recommend watching GTO. You know what is a big investment, though? I wouldn't call it a big investment. <laughs> uh, let me let me let me put this out here. I I think this is a great transition because while GTO is a lot of episodes, the show we're about to talk about needs more episodes. I'm gonna put that out there right away. I think it needed more episodes mm. and that's Bacano. yes we're gonna talk about Bacano. and uh yeah i i have mixed feelings about it i'll just be honest I'll, I'll put that out there right away i don't think it needed more episodes i think it just needed more clarity with the story <laughs> and <laughs> it's maybe it's just unfortunate that we had watched this right after winding down from asen uh because like there's a lot of this where, like, I'll be honest, I had no idea. I still have no idea what the fuck was going on in this show. Um, I thought originally it was, like, uh, Depression-era anthology stories. But, like, we find out that even though these stories are taking place in different years, they all are connected in some way. Uh, and then it becomes something along the lines of, it seems like, Marvel's The Eternals, even though I've never watched The Eternals. I haven't either. Um, or like turning into a murder mystery, like murder on the Orient Express. Although it's not, there's not really any murder mystery in it. it the mystery just is a mystery in general. Yeah, the mystery is again, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, I think the important thing with Bacano, um, especially going into it blind, is that it is going to be confusing because the story is told in a nonlinear format, and because the story is told in a nonlinear format. We decided to change things up and do an overall review of the show instead of our regular format, which is an episodic review. And that's purely for our own sanity. I have no idea how we're going to break down every episode and all of the time skips and jumps and POV jumps that, that happen in a single episode. I think it would be a very, very difficult task to try and break this down per episode. So again, we're going to talk generally about it. Let's jump into the synopsis so that we can kind of open up discussion. Yeah, so I pieced together a quick synopsis of the entire series chronologically this time. So that, you know, if, if you've watched uh, Bacano and you're also like, what the hell's going on? Hopefully this will provide more clarity. 
But Wait, yeah. Wait, so you you took the time to put everything together chronologically? Yeah. Well, I, I had help. Shit. I no, I had help uh, with a synopsis that I found online, and then I just you know gave it the Carl spin. Oh, okay. So, I was gonna say you're like putting in the work for no, this. No, yeah. One. <laughs> I, I, it's it's not like uh, I know we we've referred back to this meme a lot in several different anime episodes, but it I didn't act it like uh like Charlie from Always Sunny, where he has the cork board with Pepe <laughs> Sylvia. Thankfully, I didn't have to do that because I was like super concerned. Like, how the fuck am I gonna explain this this show with the strictly anime synopsis? But no, thankfully, I had a bit of a crutch. So, all aboard, dear listeners, as we embark upon our synopsis and discussion for Bakano, which is the 2007 anime adaptation of a light novel series written by Ryogo Narita and illustrated by Katsumi Inami. Produced by Brains Base and directed by Takahiro Omori, this series weaves an extraordinary tale set in the Depression-era United States from multiple points of view, surrounding a transcontinental express train and a potent elixir that grants its recipient with immortality. In the year of our Kamisama 1711, a demon-sama gifts a bunch of seafaring alchemists with the cocktail of immortality, so, of course, self-interest prevails, and Sillard King becomes at odds with Corn Miza, who holds the secret formula, leading the, alchemists, leading the alchemists to scatter across the globe for fear of being vacuum-sucked by each other in the conflict. Over 200 years later, at the height of a depression greater than the ones millennials go through on a daily basis, <laughs> Sillard King is able to recreate the cocktail in New York City, but the everlasting death stopper is stolen by the hooligan Dallas Genoard and passes through several non-related parties, from two IQ-less thieves named Isaac and Miria to multiple Italian mob families named I Don't Even and Fucking No, resulting in Corn Miza's protege Fiero No One, who ends up vacuum-sucking the Zillard King after a tip from his humanoid assistant Ennis. Dallas is cemented inside a barrel and thrown into the Hudson River to sleep with the fishes by the Gandor family for causing this whole bacano. The ruckus continues into next year, however, in 1931, when the I Don't Even and the fucking No families engage in a drug and turf war. The conflict prompts Luck Gandor to assign his adoptive brother, the infamous assassin Rail Tracer, to board the flying pussyfoot transcontinentals train from Chicago to New York and settle the dispute. The train itself breaks out into a gang fight between two rival gang factions over who gets to hold a senator's family hostage. A bunch of Marvel's discount, or maybe luxury brand, Eternals, do their best to keep the passengers safe while Rail Tracer has a dick-slinging match with gang leader Lad Russo. Rail Tracer then falls in love at first sight with Coco Chanet, the daughter of one of the immortal seafaring alchemists, and Marvel's luxury brand Eternals make it to the train's destination in Manhattan, where the IQless thieves Isaac and Miria unknowingly convince one of the Eternals, Coleslaw Cheslaw, from committing heinous acts in the drug war. The Baca Noviers continue this nonsensical narrative as a crazed car mechanic named Graham seeks revenge on Rail Tracer for bringing down his faux fetish, Lad Russo, before he had a chance to, leading to Coco Chanet willing to call Rail Tracer more than just a friend. Dallas Genoard's sister Eve discovers that her brother is no longer buried in the barrel that booked his boundless boredom, and Isaac and Miria celebrate Firo No One's inauguration into the Mafia with a mindless round of falling dominoes. 
In the midst of all of this, a cast of kooky characters at the Daily Day's information tabloid attempts to uncover the truth of the flying pussyfoot incident, but at this point, it seems that even they have baka no idea what the fuck is going on. So I'm just going to start off by saying this is a good story. It's potentially a, a, a great story. It just has poor execution. And it's really mm-hmm. just scratching the surface because I think Bacano is still ongoing, isn't it? The light novel? Yes, the light novel is still ongoing uh, with the original uh, original run beginning in 2003. So there you have it. I mean, this is a classic example of you get an anime that's like 12, 13 episodes. It ends um, in a slightly unsatisfactory way because you know there's more to the story. But it's like a go read the manga type of situation. You know, you get that all the Mm -hmm. time, especially with like romance anime. You don't get the full story. It's like you like that. Well, go read the manga. It's It's one big promo for the manga here. I don't know if it's one big promo for the light novel, but if the story is still ongoing, then yeah, I think we're we're pretty um, pretty confident to say that this is not not a conclusive story. This is really just scratching the surface of all of these characters and all of these plot lines. But when it comes to the poor execution, I think that's what keeps me from being super intrigued because I am super intrigued by the story and and by most of the characters. But it keeps me from moving from intrigued to invested. I had a really hard time getting invested in what was happening and a hard time getting invested in these characters, which we can talk a little bit more about um, in just a bit. And I think the the reason being is because of its nonlinear storytelling format. There's nothing wrong with a nonlinear storytelling format if it's well thought out and well planned out. Because wasn't The Witcher a nonlinear storytelling format? Talking about the Netflix series. Yeah, season one was nonlinear, wasn't it? Wasn't there some like time jumps? Yeah, which weren't clear at first, but then as you're going through um, that that series, like it starts to make more sense. Uh, I don't think that was the case here <laughs> with uh, with Bacano, at least for me, um, because it's so like the storytelling, like you said, it is so unorthodox which makes me feel like this is a an anime for like the the art house junkies or what's the, the elitist the, yeah that's the term like you call it like the elitist anime <laughs> <laughs> it's like the people who watch sunny boy <laughs> yeah and it's not to say like i haven't watched tv series like this or even movies like this before um i'm thinking specifically with odd taxi which we watched from uh the 2021 anime that we watched last year uh, that was a really thrilling murder mystery, and that too had very nonlinear storytelling until you see the pieces falling together. Well, I think it's linear. Odd Taxi felt far more linear in terms of like timeline being linear. I know they were mm-hmm. jumping around between POV, but when I when I mean nonlinear, I I mean like the actual timeline of events because yeah. we're jumping between like like different time periods. Yeah, and that brings to mind, I don't like this isn't like drastically different time periods, but uh, Christopher Nolan's film Dunkirk, which was... Oh, uh, that was the, a great yeah, movie. That that whole movie was also based around time, and you have different scenarios play out where it's, I think it's at, one, at some point during uh, World War II, but it all just comes together, uh, like just very satisfactory 
very satisfactorily. Is that a word? In a very in a, satisfactory in a, way. Yeah, in a very satisfactory way. With Bacchanal, though, I think it was just trying to piece together what is happening, and that's what took out my enjoyment of this story as a whole. And again, it, like you said, it's a great story. It's just, for me, I had so many questions like, who is the protagonist? What is the objective with this story? Is it going anywhere? And I was reading uh, with the light novel's author, uh, Ryogo Narita. He actually never wrote a detailed outline for the novel because he thought it would allow the characters to just kind of move on their own, which is which makes sense. But I think when they were adapting it to this anime, I don't think it translated as clearly well according to mail i'll read this verbatim it says unlike the novels however which follow a mostly linear narrative per book the anime adopts a non-linear storytelling style the tale of each novel is told simultaneously with one another with the focus jumping back and forth in between and within the different plot lines so Again, like Dunkirk and Witcher are great examples of non-linear storytelling styles that work well because they're very thoughtful about when certain reveals happen. Mm -hmm. It's like you get this whole, you know, current day, or let's say, um, part of the story, and you're kind of wondering, okay, what is the significance of this? And then they go back in time and they tell you this is important because of what happened previously. And they kind of almost reveal the importance through that that jumping around between the different points in time. Here, it felt like Bacchano kind of achieved that in some aspects, but for the most part, felt purposely convoluted, which mm. made it difficult, again, to get invested in anything when my primary focus was just trying to keep the story straight. I, I couldn't... I couldn't look beyond anything else because I was trying so damn hard. Maybe I'm small-brained, I don't know, but I was trying so damn hard to remember who these people are, what what importance they hold, and what goals they're trying to achieve. Yeah, as as you're as you were talking about that, I'm thinking back to like the episodes that we watched. Uh, which, by the way, we watched the the 13 episodes of this series plus the three OVAs. Yes, and for anyone who hasn't watched the OVAs, the OVAs, quote-unquote, conclude the story that the anime is trying to tell. Really, I mean, it's kind of an open-ended conclusion because the, the light novels are still going, but you you kind of need to watch the OVAs to fully appreciate the anime, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, episode-wise, there isn't any one that like, stands out for me like with what the episode was focusing on. Because it's it's all just like machete cuts of the the different time periods and what's going on, and I know like the the episode titles like some of them they try to focus on a specific character, um, like ones on I think Isaac and Miria or ones about Lad Russo, but I can't tell you like the difference between what one episode or like the story that one episode was looking at besides another. The only one that I know that sticks out. Uh, it was episode seven, which was the earliest part of the story that takes place aboard that ship in 1711. And that's the one that like kind of ties everything together. And, and th- that's where it's like an eye opener. Like, oh, this is what's going on. This is what's happening with, you know, the whole elixir of immortality thing. And I think that's the one episode that felt consistently 
paced and focused on one portion of the story. But even then it had time skips because you'd be watching the the group on the ship talking to the demon but then in the middle of that you'd see someone going around killing other people yeah. so it's like jumping between like what happened before they obtained the elixir and then what happened immediately after they obtained the, the elixir when i okay i don't know how you say his name but i kept calling him slizzard so i'm gonna keep calling him slizzard oh yeah it's, it was s-z-i-l-a-r-d slizzard Sillard. Okay, well, I'm calling him of, Slizzard. Yeah, like sl- <laughs> Slizzard King. <laughs> Slizzard King. Um, but when Slizzard was going around trying to kill everybody because he's crazy. Uh, one one thing I do want to share is that Bacano was written, as you mentioned, by Ryogo, Ryogo Narita. Narita. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the same creator of Durarara. I think he wrote light novels for both Bacano and Durarara. And I think both of the anime adaptations were done by Brainspace. So there's tons of similarities there, similar animations, similar storytelling, not in the nonlinear sense necessarily for Durarara. There is some jumping around, but more so in like a large cast whose stories start to come together and intertwine as the show goes on. They even both have like the recap in the middle of the OP, which is kind of unique. So there, I feel like Bakano may have been the first work. I think Bakano came out before Durarara's light novel, right? Yeah, uh, the light novel for Bakano came out in 2003. It's still ongoing, as we mentioned. Durarara came out in 2004, and its status is complete. <laughs> well, there you go. I didn't even know it was complete. And I think the anime for Durarara came out after Bakano. So I feel like they took what they did with Bakano and maybe like improved upon it for Durarara. I I love Durarara. I I'm re- I rewatched the first season and I'm continuing through the story because I'd never watched anything past the first season. And I really enjoy the storytelling format. Again, that that huge cast of characters whose stories seem totally separate, and then as the show goes on, everyone starts to intertwine more and more until everyone is pretty much connected by the end of of the story. I think the problem here is that. Again, Bakano just is so erratic and purposely convoluted, whereas Dudarada actually tries to help the viewer along um, with all of these different characters. I walked away from Dudarada season one feeling very satisfied, um, feeling very connected to a majority of the characters, feeling like I fully understood who all of the main players are, what their purpose is, and what their end goals were, even if they weren't resolved in season one. But with Bakano, I didn't walk away feeling any of that. And I think that's part of where the frustration came from because you have this guy who made two different bodies of work and their anime adaptations turned out drastically different. Hmm. So I, I, I know it's kind of jumping ahead, but would you recommend that I watch Durarara? Uh over Bakano. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know about over Bakano, but I would recommend in general, yes, watch Do Da Da Da. I think it's a solid anime. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing ever made, but I I really enjoyed the first time I watched it. I, I enjoyed my rewatch of season one. And again, I am making my way through season two. I think I just finished the first arc of season two. And I think it's it's just very solidly put together um, for a huge cast of characters. Because it kind of is daunting when you go into a new anime seeing like, 10, 15 plus characters you have to try and get to know. But I feel like Durarara does it in a way that doesn't leave you feeling lost. Okay. Yeah. And here in Bakano, obviously you have almost like 20 plus characters that you have to deal with. And I 
can't even pinpoint one that like one character that sticks out to me i, I would say maybe like uh, isaac and miria who are kind of like the comic relief throughout this like semi-serious like crime supernatural crime drama like they're the ones that stick out the most just because of their humor but yeah i think it just the, <laughs> you know what this is like this show it kind of felt like a chore watching. <laughs> there were that. times, yeah. yeah. Again, it's only because it was just very difficult to follow. I do think, again, the, the story itself is really, really interesting. I love that twist and that supernatural aspect about the immortals and how they blend that with you know, 1930s mafia. I think that's such a unique twist. So like the story follows, and this is my way of kind of wrapping my head around it. The story follows three timelines and multiple plot lines. So we have like the, the three-way train robbery that's happening on the flying pussyfoot. We have the mafia family feuds. We have a girl looking for her brother. We have a group of immortals infighting in an attempt to either hide the secret recipe for their immortality potion or trying to steal it so it can be recreated, et cetera, et cetera. And then the core timelines are 1930, which follows the mafia families, 1931, which follows the train arc, and then 1932, which mostly follows uh, that sister looking for her brother, Dallas. What's the sister's name? Eve. Eve, thank you. Um, you know this is going to be a struggle for me because I'm so bad with names. But uh, I, I feel like, again, I, I can walk away understanding the core of what's happening here, but I don't feel like I intimately understand any of those plot lines or any of those timelines just because of the way the story was told. Yeah, I I don't like, you know, I feel like a lot of works, they always have like an overarching theme here. I, I wasn't getting the, I wasn't getting what the theme was of Bacchano or if, you know, like it's referring to the, title of the last ova the story can never have an ending is that what it was carol carol realizes that the story cannot have an ending maybe like just the sense that this is something happening at a point in time uh like i i get the 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 guy the the thematic person in me wants something more than that like i don't know if what they were trying to establish is like with immortality like what people would do if they were given that power of immortality like you can see with slizzard as you called him um <laughs> that he's he's seeking power from it or you know the the people throughout here who just happen to come across the elixir like haphazardly like isaac maria uh chesla whoever like it's they just kind of want to live their lives but i feel like the story kind of just glosses over that and just shows everything happening and says like here it is one of the things and i don't know if we've really shared this before but one of the things you and i think about every time we watch a new anime is what is the point what is the purpose <laughs> here and and i think that's a very fair question to ask because i think we need to understand like what is the point of this story what is the point of this anime what, what purpose is it trying to serve and when it comes to bakano I feel like the best way I can describe the point of this anime is that a bunch of stuff happens. Yes. Like it's just, it's things <laughs> that are happening simultaneously. Like just things are happening. That That's all, that's the best way I can describe it. Unlike, you know, some other anime where you can clearly pinpoint like, this is the point of the anime. Yeah, there might be other stuff going on, but the point of this anime is X, Y, Z. Yeah, like what do, they what do these things mean? That's, I think, what is missing for me. 
And it doesn't have an, purposely a clear beginning or a clear ending. And I know there's like very meta references to that um, in at the end of the OVAs. That felt like a cop out though, because I feel like they knew that they weren't going to adapt anymore. So then they had the I think it was the vice director and Kato like talking about you know there's no beginning or end to any tale. And yeah, I feel like that's why it plays into that trope of, oh, you like this 13, 12 episode anime and you want more? Too bad. Go read the manga. I feel like yeah. it's the same thing here. Oh, you like this story? Well, you're going to have to read the night lo- the light novels, the light novels to find out how the rest of this plays out. And I, I said in the beginning, I, I feel like this needed more episodes. I think they were trying to cram a lot of content. I mean, four novels worth of content in a nonlinear format into 13 episodes plus three OVAs. So 16 yeah. episodes total. Although the synopsis that I was reading, it like these 13, 13 to 16 episodes only cover, I don't know how much of the volumes, but like it's just a piece of the entire synopsis that I had seen. So it, I don't think it covered all the volumes. I just whatever was available up until the point that the anime was adapted. I I would like more Bacchano just so that I could understand better what is going on. I mean, like the anime. Like I would I would want more of the anime just so that I can walk away from this feeling more satisfied. Because again, I wanted so badly to like this show. I'm a huge fan of the mafia, you know, 1920s, 1930s gangsters, especially like Al Capone being someone you know yeah, from Chicago. Same. It's it's part of the Chicago culture, but. I feel like I I missed some of those things I was hoping for with this anime. And side note, I want to tell this because I think this is fun to share. My family was in the mafia. We have distant relatives. Um, was or is? <laughs> was, was in the mafia um, back in the day, back in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, we had distant relatives in St. Louis who, um, I'm trying to recall this, I think they started a specific mafia group or family that ultimately I think fell apart because one of those relatives um, who was one of the the leaders or one of the bosses of, of that group was shot to death inside of an attic through a wall or something that he oh. was using to hide from some guys. And actually the story is on the mobmuseum.org and I'll I'll share the link to it in the Discord for anyone who's curious curious enough to read about um, John Gianola and the Green Ones. John Gianola being my distant relative um, and Vito, I think his brother who was shot to death. <laughs> or was he? Did they drink the elixir of immortality? Maybe. Maybe they're get still alive vacuum to this sucked day. By someone's hand. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you call it vacuum sucking. I don't know. That kind what of is a good way it? to describe what you, it. What would you call that action? <laughs> um, vacuum sucking. Yeah, you just kind of <laughs> suck them into your right hand. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about the theme around immortality, or not the theme, but the plot line around immortality. I thought that was so fucking cool. And I love the scenes where someone gets killed and then they they recreate their own body and they're totally fine because gore is very uh, very prevalent in this show. And I think they do it really well. It's pretty brutal at times, but it's nothing that feels over the top or unnecessary. I feel like it's just the right amount of gore for a very realistic telling of the story. Yeah, it wasn't like grotesque at all. I think the only scene that really made me wince was watching Rail Tracer kind of hold Chesslaw against the tracks and you see his 
body getting mutilated in different ways. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't excessive to the point where I couldn't watch. I found the the Immortals piece of it probably to be my favorite plot line of all the plot lines. And I also enjoyed the episode that you referenced earlier where they take you back to the origin of the Immortals on that ship um, that they perform some sort of alchemy and worked with some demon to have this ability to be immortal. I just feel like there was a lack of consequence. I feel like this demon Mm -hmm. was just like, well, you summoned me. I'm going to give you this power to become immortal. And the only caveat is that you can die. You can only die if another immortal sucks you up in their vacuum and you have to give your real name when another immortal is in the vicinity. Right. Was there anything else that, that I'm overlooking? No, I think, yeah, you pretty much covered the whole immortality spiel of the show. I think it was really cool, too, when we saw, like, Firo, for example, getting shot up. And I think him and, God, I don't remember his name. The guy who has the same voice actor as Dio. Uh, uh, Luck Gandor. Yeah, Luck. When they were getting shot up in that bookstore. And then you see them regenerate. And they're like, oh, we're all good. And it's just so nonchalant to them. And they, they tell the, the bookstore owner, hey, you're going to keep this quiet because if not, we're going to have some some trouble here. And he's like, I'm not saying nothing. I didn't see nothing. I, I love that kind of stuff because it is very gangster-esque, but mm-hmm. with this really cool twist of them being immortal and them just acting like it's no big fucking deal. Yeah, it's it's like immortality is not like the, I guess it's not the point here in the story. It's, it's just a means to uh, keep the story moving forward. Um, but yeah, it's it's just again. I'm trying to figure out like what what is at play with immortality. And again, I think it's just you know these characters don't treat it as anything like special. It's just all they really care about is is going on with their lives. And I know we get the time skip at the very last episode of the the series proper, where we see Isaac and Maria in like 2001, and they're they've graduated from like stealing candies or, or or money, or even like the door of a museum. I think at one point they had stolen to stealing people's cell phones because they feel like like people are too sucked into their technology, which I think is still a prevalent thing now in 2022 as it was in 2001. And like I think Isaac and Mary just come to the point where they realize they've been alive for almost like. 70 years at that point and they're like we look no younger yeah <laughs> or no older sorry what am i saying yeah, no, we look no, no older, older than we did before and mm-hmm. that kind of makes me wonder did they not realize that they're immortal i yeah. can see it because they're very goofy characters like i could see them not realizing even that many years in that they are now immortal <laughs> yeah but i guess it, again it's it's no consequence to them because they can still enjoy the things that they get out of life uh i don't know maybe it would have been interesting to see what Firo or Miza, what they, what they do with their immortality. Although I think Miza, like he's the character that kind of wants to keep a lid on it, despite the immortality just spreading to all these unrelated characters. But like you even see with with Chesla, he's kind of conflicted because he thinks that uh, there are other immortal characters out to get him, so he has to be the one to to get to them first and do the vacuum sucking. But again, all these characters. They just want to live their quiet lives, basically, right? Yeah, they want to Yoshikaga Kira themselves. Yoshikaga Kira? Yoshikage yep. Kira? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you said Kaga. Did I? Oh, <laughs> Yoshikage Kira. <laughs> I also wonder with the immortality, 
um, like ability with, with being immortal. I, there's two types of immortals, right? There, the, there's the immortal who never ages, and then you have the imperfect immortals who do age because they drank the elixir that wasn't fully flushed out. So Dallas is one of those, right? Where he's going to continue aging, but he's immortal. So like, hmm. does he die or does he truly stay immortal and just continue to become more and more decrepit as he gets like in- extremely old and in his body, yeah, is he won't gonna move, but he'll never die. Be like um, the the old grandma in SpongeBob, who's on the, the chocolate episode. Yeah, what? <laughs> um, <but> that's <laughs> if that's how his life is gonna end up. That's kind of unfortunate. Although, like Slizzard is. Oh wait, but Slizzard, he drank the elixir at the point where he was an old dude already. Yeah. So it's like, will Dallas? just become a shriveled up old lady from SpongeBob and like literally not be able to move because his body is so decrepit and so aged, but he cannot die. So he just has to lay there and just continue to like, like not rot, but mm-hmm. just become more and more aged. Well, he's not in the barrel anymore that they dug up from the Hudson. Well, that's separate. That's mm-hmm. like, that's another question I had. So, okay, you're immortal, but you are in the water you're submerged in the water for how many years does he like suffocate to death and then die and then revive and then suffocate again like in an yeah. eternal like cycle that's what i was thinking or does he just go unconscious because he's like not able to breathe so there's no like oxygen going to his brain so he can't function because his lungs are probably filled with water I, like, i'm trying to like think this through i'm not i'm not like a science person right but I, I think, think those mm, are the, probably the two ways that it would unfold for him. Yeah, I don't know if it's like his body resets because we kind of saw that with Chesla at certain points uh, where his, I think he, remember he got shot up by Lad and then his body comes back together and then he kind of resets. I feel like Dallas's body is just constantly resetting to the point. Where he's in and out of consciousness at that point. Yeah. He's not exploding. There's nothing that needs to like be repaired. It's just his brain turning on and off, I would say. Yeah. So that seems just like a, a fate worse than death. That that is that is some Diavolo type shit, dude. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um another question I had related to immortality is if that would carry on in the bloodline. Like if some of them were to have kids together, would their kids be immortal? Oh, I, like uh, with Fero and Ennis. I yeah, although were... she's like not a real person, so that's a whole other that's a whole other subject. <laughs> yeah. uh, that too, like that came out of nowhere. Like just that Slizzard made this. They call it a homunculus, which is basically yeah, a humanoid. Like that's just another part of the lore that they just introduce along with immortality i just thought maybe it was, it's just like another thing they can do in alchemy yeah well they, like, they never explained yeah they never really explore that past like establishing that ennis is a homunculus um i feel like you it wouldn't be like a a, a trait that is bred genetically like a hereditary thing yeah right? i think your children would have to also end up Drinking the elixir as well. Because you have that Laforet, Laforet guy. Huey? Yeah, Huey, who has a daughter, but I don't think it's his actual daughter. Is it? Oh, I thought it was his, like, biological daughter. Oh, I thought it was, like, implied that that they were, like, family, quote-unquote, but not Here, actual let's family. let's see what the Bacano wiki has to say about Shane Laforet, 
Yeah, the eldest daughter of Huey and another character that wasn't in the anime. Okay, so then she says that I'm going to, she says in the anime, I'm going to continue to age as he stays the same age. But is that because the mother is not immortal? Or is it just because, like you said, it's not hereditary, therefore it wouldn't pass down to offspring? Yeah, I guess that's something we would have to read the manga for, which I have no intention of Or the doing. light novel? Yeah, or yeah, the light <laughs> novel, actually. Uh, one other comment about Immortals. I have to say, Chez, is that his name? Chez, the kid? Chess Law, yeah. Chess. He got the shaft of it. He should have waited until he was at least like 18 or something to drink that elixir because now he's forever a kid. So he can't get a job. So unless he relies on somebody else, he's not going to be able to make money and do anything. All right. Yeah. Fast forward to 2001. And what is he? What he's is never he going to be allowed to drink alcohol or drive <laughs> a car or anything. Like, what the hell, dude? I mean, he didn't think about that at the time, I'm sure, but. If I were him, I would be like, no, nah, I'm going to hold on to this elixir until I turn 18 or 21 so I can legally drink in the U.S. And Which then I'll drink the elixir. What happened with, I think, Gerd, the, that one character? Misa's that... brother. Right? Oh, wait, no, sorry, not Gerd. His love interest. I forgot her name. Sylvia? Yeah, yeah, Was that her name? Yeah. There's so many characters. Not Sylvia. Sylvia's the one with the gray or silver hair? Sylvie was her name. Oh, Sylvie. It's like Pepe Sylvie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she she didn't drink the elixir at first, remember? And then we see her, I think, in the OVA, and she's much older. And so at some point, she did drink, uh, drink the elixir of immortality. Man, that's what Chez should have done. Chez made the wrong call, but he was also a kid at the time, so I guess he didn't know any better. Well, while we're on the topic of characters, let's talk a little bit about them because there's a shitload to um, to unpack here. Who were your favorite characters or the ones that stood out the most to you? I think I mentioned earlier it was just Isaac and Miria just because like their humor provided a bit of brevity to the the whole story and just seeing the antics that you, they get up to again while you're having like the the rail tracer doing his thing on the flying pussyfoot or even how they are involved in certain events throughout the different timelines like how they were they crossed paths with eve at one point in in their robberies and then them ending up on the train and then them indirectly swaying chess from like sucking up miza because he was so afraid of like what immortals would do to him if he didn't act up in time mm -hmm. uh yeah like they're the ones that i found endearing as you know as stupid characters as they were i really enjoyed firo and lad i really liked their characters i i think firo is super endearing um probably one of the most wholesome characters that we had i know he's part of the mafia but he like very very much is devote and and cares about being a part of of whatever mafia family he was a part of. I can't remember which one he was serving. Martelli, maybe sure. <laughs> <laughs> Martillo, is that it? Uh, yeah, I don't fucking one know. of them. Um, and he was just fun, and he cared very much about Ennis, and I think 
after he sucked up Slizzard and, and obtained all of his memories, he realized kind of the, the gravity of the situation, but handled it very maturely and told Miza, hey, I, I get it now. I understand what, what is happening and what has happened. I'll be there for you. Like He's someone that, he, that seems like he can be relied upon. And on the flip side, you have Lad, who is fucking crazy. <laughs> I don't mm. understand why he's so hellbent on killing everybody and, and why he enjoys murder. I assume that in the light novel, you get more context around his his personality and what may have led him to become like this. But he was just so fun to watch. And I know that's weird to say when he's going around murdering people, but I think it's just his goofy nature and his over-the-top delivery for everything. Plus, he has... An amazing voice actor, R.I.P. K.G. Fujiwara. Yeah, I just, he's fantastic. I think he was a great cast for Lad. And I don't know, I just, I found him enjoyable to watch because he was such a polarizing character. He was in that gray space where you, you enjoy seeing him on screen, but you don't enjoy seeing what he's doing to other people. Yeah, I guess he was sort of the wild card in the entire cast of characters. It's sort of like the, like, here's my Dark Knight reference. He's like the, the Joker <laughs> of you know, the entire story where he's just out there committing chaos for the sake of committing chaos. He's a great antagonist. I think that's a that's something that, that hits the nail on the head. He's a fantastic antagonist who I, I enjoyed watching. Similarly, I enjoyed watching Vino as Vino. I didn't enjoy watching Vino as Rail Tracer because the same person, right? He has like a bunch of different names. Yeah, Vino, Rail Tracer, Claire Stanfeld. Basically, I enjoyed his character when he was not assuming the the character of Rail Tracer and going around killing people on the train and covered in blood. I enjoyed him kind of like after that, mostly in the OVAs where he's trying to find Shane and he's kind of telling you a little bit more about himself. I don't understand the point of his character, but yeah. I enjoyed his character post Flying Pussyfoot, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if we were supposed to feel hot or cold towards him because yeah, he, he goes on a murderous killing spree on the flying pussyfoot and then he has an about face when he sees Shane and I know like they were trying to play up their sort of love story, but I, I couldn't I couldn't get invested in it because I, I knew like this guy was a killing machine only a couple episodes ago. So let me ask the opposite question because again, going back to the storytelling style, I couldn't tell which characters were significant and which weren't because sometimes they're significant in certain plot lines or in certain episodes and then other other times they're completely insignificant. So from your point of view, which character or characters felt the most insignificant or confusing or where you were just questioning like what is the point of this person? Um, who would I put? I can go first if it's easier. If you need some time to think that over. Sure, I can hear your answer. So there were two in particular. Um, the first one, as I mentioned, was Vino or Rail Tracer. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about him more in the Rail Tracer sense. I don't understand anything about Rail Tracer. I don't know how people know about Rail Tracer. I don't know why he became a thing. They gave us a little bit of backstory that he's like an assassin who used to be an acrobat, which is why he can do such crazy feats. But it's like, why? <laughs> Just the whole time I'm thinking like, I don't understand the concept of Rail Tracer and why this is important other than the fact that He's on a train and he's killing people. Therefore, he's Rail Tracer. I just, I have no clue what that was all about. 
Yeah, I think he got the moniker Rail Tracer because he would go on all these different trains, and that's like how a lot of the murders on those trains happened. Um, yeah, reading through the the synopsis, he it was Luck who had given him the task of settling this gang war between I think it was the the Gandors and the Runoradas or whoever, but. Yeah, I, I, there's still no clarity on why Rail Tracer was given that task. I do want to say, again, Vino himself, I enjoyed. I liked that he took an interest in Shane, if, even if it was a bit forceful. Um, I, I enjoyed just kind of him in the OVAs. But yeah, I don't know what the fuck was up with Rail Tracer. The other one who I really have no no understanding around is Huey. Who the fuck is Huey? Where Where did he come from? Was he on the boat? Yeah. He was on he the was... boat back in the 1700s? Yeah, I don't remember him at all. And they, <laughs> I have no recollection of that. And then that's who the one of the gang factions on the train, the the Lemurs, like they were saying the that the black he suits, was, right? Yeah, they work for him. Yeah, they were saying that he was his leader, and they wanted to hold the senator host or the senator's family hostage for whatever reason to to free Huey. I guess I don't know. But it's like, why was Huey in jail in the first place? How did he become? a gang leader or a mafia leader or whatever. Like I just, to, to me, I didn't understand his significance. Yeah. He was there on the boat. Yeah. He was part of the mafia, but like, he just felt like he was plopped in all of a sudden and we were just supposed to understand that. And he could like talk telepathically to Shane. I don't know if that was like more metaphorical than anything, but I, I just don't, I don't know what was going on with Huey. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, you don't have to explain it because I'm sure it's difficult no. <laughs> to understand as well. But who who would you say left you feeling similarly? Um, I guess there are a couple characters. Uh, one, although I, I I kind of understand what her point is now. Like like Rachel, the the one passenger who got onto the train without a ticket. Uh, oh, I have to say, I love that part where Rail Tracer crawls up to her from under the the train and is like, "Can I see your ticket?" And she, <laughs> she fucking <laughs> freaks out. That was great. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I know, like she ended up being like the, I think the informant for like the Daily Days, and I think she's the one from which like they're getting most of the story about what happened on the Flying Pussyfoot. Um, so maybe you know what I, I'll I'll take Rachel because she did play it a part in the story or like a somewhat significant part in the story uh maybe niece and jacuzzi or as they say in the sub jacuzzi oh yeah they're like they were just there on the train like at some they point they were trying to rob the train weren't they but were like, they but like why yeah and like like i i think they're connected to one of the mafia families too they they serve one of the families but again no real connection was established there. They just mm-hmm. kind of tell us that, and then I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I know, like in the later episodes and in the OVA, they tried to establish uh, like a love story between the two of them, but that kind of just went over my head. And the, I know, like, niece got into like <laughs> I don't even know what happened. She got into an accident where something just exploded on the table in front of her. You got scared by that part, didn't you? Didn't that startle you? Because you gasped when that happened. I mean, yeah, it was out of nowhere. And then... <laughs> I was yeah. like, are you okay? <laughs> and then, yeah, like, she that's how, like, she got one of her eyes gouged out and she wears a, that patch over that eye. Uh, and so I think Jakuji 
got a face tattoo just to kind of be in solidarity with her so she wouldn't feel alone with her injury. But I was thinking, like, who the fuck would give... Like, this all happened when they were younger, right? When they were children. Yeah. Like, who the fuck would give uh, a young kid a, a, t- a face tattoo? I mean, it was probably, like, the 1910s, 1920s. Yeah, the roaring 20s. <laughs> you could do whatever you want, but... Except yeah. drink. Yeah. <laughs> Prohibition. <laughs> right. Um, but... Yeah, I think they were just plopped in the story as just these random characters who also at some point happened to get the, like, right? They're 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 immortals. You yes. Uh, at this point, wait, I, are I, they? I don't know if ja- if Jacuzzi and Nice are. I thought at one point we saw Jacuzzi, like regenerate from something. No, because he was in the hospital. For like a oh, while, yeah. so if he had all those, well, he didn't die though. So mm. maybe, I, I, okay. Now this is a question for the immortals: if an arm breaks, no, it will regenerate right away. Because remember when Firo and Miza were fighting, and he cut Miza, and Miza's arm yeah. healed immediately. Mm-hmm. And then Chez shows Rachel like, "Here, I'm gonna cut my arm," and that heals immediately. And then so no, Jacu- j- jacuzzi, 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 sure. jacuzzi is not immortal. So I would assume Nice is not immortal either. Okay. And again, I don't give a fuck about those two because again, <laughs> like, they again, they're just there in the story. Maybe they were there to rob the train or whatever, but I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I feel similar. Like, again, I I don't feel like I was invested in any in any character, even though I liked Fido and Lad. I still don't feel invested in them because mm-hmm. there just wasn't enough, like. There wasn't enough time to get to know anybody, and there wasn't enough context around anybody to get to know anybody. And I think it's also like, who would you say is the main character of this series? Uh, Carol. Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was going to say it's a rhetorical question because there really isn't because you just have all of these characters thrown in your face. But I think the other character that I thought was really insignificant was from the OVA, uh, Graham, the mechanic. Like they kind of just... Oh, yeah. He like I think his story was kind of thrown in throughout the three episodes, uh, just to give the give the OVAs a new character to look at. Uh, I know he's voiced by Tomokazu Tsukida, who's one of your favorite seiyu, Love him. Uh, who did Joseph Joestar and uh, Gintoki. But all he really was was like he was just screaming out platitudes and like boastful statements about life and purpose. And I know he had like this sort of like vendetta or maybe even like a fetish with uh, Lad because at some point they were like uh, toe-to-toe with each other and he just thought, like they each thought they were formidable fighters and so that's why he was so pissed that Rail Tracer was the one who incapacitated Lad and now and then he wanted to go off, go off on Rail Tracer. But yeah, he was another character that was just there and he, I guess he was there to put Rail Tracer from point A to point B with his relationship with Shawnee. But other than that, it's like, why introduce this character? Yeah, I agree. I think that it was too late in the game to introduce a new character like that. I enjoyed the character. I, I found him to be pretty entertaining. And no, that's not just because he was voiced by Tomokazu Sugita, but really the, the character itself was pretty entertaining from my point of view. But I just felt like I, at, at that point, I was so confused. I was like, I have a hard time like getting to know these current characters i'm not gonna be able to get to know this new character for like three episodes i think it was in all three of the ovas right yeah 
The only other thing that I wanted to take note of with the show, and it's probably the only thing that I really like from the series, is the music. And I know we usually talk about this first, but I guess now we're bringing it up uh, to to kind of end on a more positive note, which is the the OP and the ED. Um, the OP is called Guns and Roses, but it's not by Guns and Roses. <laughs> it's by Paradise Lunch, which I learned is an all female jazz band. Um, it was very tank-like in sound tank from cowboy bebop but nowhere near on the level of tank but no, it was yeah. still it was still good just it wasn't as iconic as tank yeah uh it was, it was kind of like a, a tame version of tank um not so much like acid jazzy as as tank was uh i i read a youtube comment off of the um, op that said jazz and anime are a match made in heaven and you know after hearing tank and and this i kind of have to agree i love hearing jazz infused in like anime adaptations and such i think jazz goes so well with anime like fight scenes or just like chaotic scenes mm-hmm. because i think it just it, it helps to amplify the feeling of watching just chaos like I think of like any anime where I don't know, like two characters are trying to run away from a situation. There's like explosions and things flying around. Like jazz just goes really well with the way anime portrays those types of scenes. Yeah, because uh, jazz is what like they call it organized chaos. Yeah, and, uh, there you music. go. And so yeah, anime kind of evokes that too. Um, yeah, with this op, like visuals wise, you have I think like sitcom like intros of these characters as you see their names. In a flash as they hold an image in place of the character uh and i think the opening you see isaac and miria stealing candy from the shop owner and you see all the the fake candy brands i think bacano I love that is featured as like the hershey's the, bar <laughs> yeah uh, so i thought that was that was pretty cool i really enjoyed the music too again it's not as iconic as some other jazz pieces in anime but it was fun and varied and was a great fit for that 1930s aesthetic and for the the mafia aesthetic as well i thought it was it was great i don't i mean it's it's not something that i have a lot of comments around but i did genuinely enjoy the the score yeah um i, I do have a couple more comments with music uh ed you have what it's called calling by kaori oda um I don't remember much from this because yeah, we kind of skipped That's over the only it. negative comment I have is the the ED was boring. It was yeah. just boring. The song was okay. The visuals were boring. It was just people's faces over like a- An endless railroad. That had like a, a watery reflection above it or something or below mm-hmm. it. I don't know. It was, it was meh. Yeah, it was just your standard ED fare of just choosing a very sappy song as, as the credits rolled. Uh, but to- like as you were saying with the music in general uh the composer we, uh composer for bakano was makoto yoshimori and yeah i just love that he infuses this sort of jazz and this big band sound that really fits within the 1930s timeline of the show uh, the bakano theme itself not the op but there's a theme that plays during a lot of key scenes in the show uh it sounds like maybe it, there might not be a lot of listeners who know about this but in the this like early a, this 90s is a throwback <laughs> yeah there was a chips ahoy cookie commercial that featured a song that was also big band called sing 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 
by Benny Goodman. And you can you can hear it in other media too. It's a very prevalent big band song. It, it starts off like the dun 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 dun. Uh, the the Bacchano theme is very evocative of of this song, and I just love it because it's again it's a big band theme. It's nothing like orchestrally extravagant, but again it highlights that kind of mafia crime 1930s feel of the show uh the only other piece that i wanted to highlight was in the ova the final scene where the vice director or whoever i think gustav is talking to Chiaro, and there's this very <laughs> there's this very soothing violin piano piece that is played as Gustav is explaining like this story is just going to be never ending um, and prompting the the viewer to just like basically telling the viewer to go read the light novels. Uh, but you have this very somber you know, piano violin duet called Graffiti on the Picture of the Apple. I don't know the significance of the title, but it was a very cathartic thing to play as the series proper was concluding um so i again be, me being like the the music head uh, in our duo i have to show my appreciation for at least the the sounds that we were hearing throughout the show and so that brings us to our final thoughts for bacano so how many what the flying pussyfucks out of 10 would you give this series all right, so I would give this a 7 out of 10. 7 being it's good. This is a good anime that I personally just didn't enjoy as much as I had hoped. I've said this before on the podcast. You can love a 5 out of 10 anime, and you can dislike a 9 out of 10 anime. Thinking objectively, this story is great. The characters have promise and potential, but the execution just really dropped the ball on making this all come together. It's not that the writing was bad necessarily. It's just the execution and the delivery of everything just didn't come together from my point of view. And the premise was super interesting. Again, I was genuinely intrigued by the immortals, the mafia families, the train, everything. Like the chaos that was happening on the Flying Pussyfoot with three different robberies happening at the same time. That was a lot of fun. But the execution fell flat, and I think that that's largely to do with this only being 13 episodes, 16 if you count the OVAs. The story is still ongoing, uh, and it makes sense because there's a lot of content to cover. And I could see how this could come together in a really cool way, but it can't be done with so little time. I, I think the the way that Durarara was done, because I think the first season has 24-ish episodes, you have a clear beginning and a clear ending sort of because it doesn't conclude the story but it ends the season um you have enough time to give us good context around the plethora of characters that are in this show because you've got enough runtime to to accomplish all of that here with 13 to 16 episodes it just didn't happen i think they should have given this 24 episodes so that it didn't feel so chaotic and hard to follow I, I think they probably could have done a non-linear format successfully or at least more successfully in more episodes. So I think that, you know, if you were to go back and redo Bacchano, I think it would just be extending the amount of time you have to tell the story so that I, as the viewer, walk away 
feeling more invested in the characters, feeling like I got what I wanted out of this, you know, concept of immortals and the mafia families and all of that, and feeling like I at least have a good understanding of what was going on. Because if I can walk away from The Witcher, if I can walk away from Dunkirk, if I can walk away from Do Da 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 and Odd Taxi, feeling even with those unique storytelling styles that I was satisfied with that story, then I could do that with Bacano. I think just if they had more episodes to tell what was going on. What about you? Seven and a half out of 10. Uh, you know, I, we've been saying this throughout. Like I, I did not leave this anime feeling any more clarity with what was going on than when I had first started. Um, the plot and pacing were just so disjointed that going back to Charlie from Always Sunny, I think you would have to plot out a separate timeline as you're watching just to keep up with what's going on. And I don't think I touched upon this point, but when the series proper wraps up with episode 13, it kind of just, I feel like it just wraps things up in too tidy of a bow where Eve finds out Dallas is at the bottom of the Hudson. Firo is just okay with being an immortal along with everyone else in the show who's immortals. And then Chess didn't have to be eaten by Misa. So it kind of just glosses over like what happened throughout the entire show and says, oh, it, there is no consequence here. Uh, and again, that leads to me questioning, like what is the moral of this story or is there no moral, just immortals? Um, <laughs> but, you know, maybe it's just one of those things too, like with this coming out early 2000s, like the, that, that golden age of anime, like uh, there are people who he praises on the show um, as they were watching it as it was airing or whatever um, and kind of seeing it through that nostalgic lens and you and I probably just don't have that luxury. Um, but yeah, like don't get... Don't get me wrong, it's not a terrible show. In some cases, it's a, a thrilling ride at trying to just piece together the sequence of events and figuring out what is really going on if you're super into that kind of thing and kind of can forgive the show of really not having this overarching goal. But I think just for me, I don't think the story of the flying pussyfoot is flying for me personally. You know what I was thinking about? Um the type of person who would enjoy this at first i was like oh this would be great for because we talked about how like elitist anime fans would love this right i feel like people who love deep shit would not like this because i feel like mm. this whole story is very surface level it could get deep in the night the night i keep saying night night novels the light novels and i'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> the night novels. Yeah, i don't know I, I almost said that twice now um i feel like it could get deep and hopefully it does get deeper in the light novels but in the anime adaptation it's very very surface level and one thing i forgot to mention when we were talking about the characters is that i at certain points couldn't tell the difference between different characters yeah like like rail tracer and lad they're so similar. They're just two dudes who have very little backstory that love murdering people. They're just, they're too similar. Or like Shane and Ennis. They're like assassins for hire. They're like the same person, except actually, one yeah. talks and one doesn't. I actually thought Dallas and Luck were the same person at one you point. You did. You actually kept, <laughs> you kept asking me like, is that is that Dallas or Luck? Yeah, that's another thing too. They all, their, their character designs all look the same too. Or um, Dallas's sister Eve and then the... Oh fuck! Who was, was it? it? Carol. No, not Carol. The Chess's like fake sister. 
It's fake sister. Oh, it, was it the, the senator's, the senator's daughter? Yeah, senator's daughter. Oh. I They look identical to me. I kept thinking, I'm like, wait, is this Eve? <laughs> I kept thinking mm-hmm. the senator's daughter was Eve. So that's another thing, too. Again, it's it's all very surface level. So, like, there's no deep meaning to the story at this point, or at least the way the anime adapts it. And there's no depth to any of the characters where they stand out from one another when there's so many of them. So, yeah, I don't think people who like deep shit would like Bakano necessarily, but I do see, like, elitist people liking the show, thinking, like, oh, the storytelling is phenomenal it's avant-garde it's clean <laughs> i don't know i i kind of wish they they stuck to the storytelling style that the novels had which followed a little more of a linear path but it is what it is i will say though i am now on a mafia high and i want to watch more anime that have to do with the mafia oh i was gonna say i am on a mafia high and want to watch like a mafia film well uh, i know recently uh ray Liotta had yeah, passed yeah all right so I'm itching to watch Goodfellas. So, you know, after watching Bacchano, I'm I'm kinda in that mafia mood. Let's do it. Not to commit any like mafia acts, but <laughs> to watch mafia things. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. Hopefully our review of Bacchano was Hopefully it made as much sense as the show did, or maybe a little bit more sense than the show did. But we appreciate you guys for tuning in, joining us yet again for an anime review. And that concludes this episode. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. And I am Kiaro.